me was there were some others that came forward because we have talked about and, and we have been talking about for quite some time about healing and kind of doing a little mini-series on healing. But one of the things we talked about on this journey was the power of the testimony. We talked about the Ark of the Covenant, which is also known as the Ark of the Testimony. Testimony meaning duplicate, do it again. And the things that were in the Ark that God said, look, I took care of you once, I'll do it again, and I'll do it again, and I'll do it again if I need to. Right? And what I saw was God healed their marriage. I mean, they had divorced. And God healed and restored their marriage and brought them back, and they were remarried. But what I saw was people coming up going, my life is struggling. My, my marriage is struggling. My life is all spun out. And I, can see, I see what God has done there, and I want that for my own life. That's the power of your testimony. If God healed you, if God radically altered your life and changed you in a powerful way for good, wow, you need to be sharing that because that gives people hope, especially in this season of darkness, right? Well, all of this is leading up to this coming weekend, Saturday, June 12th at 6 p.m. here, we're starting our healing conference. We have some people from the Bethel Healing Rooms coming. I'm really excited about this. There are some flyers out there that I encourage you to grab one and show it to your neighbors. Invite someone who truly needs a touch from God. Amen? Invite someone to come and to step into the presence of the Lord. Now, this isn't just about physical healing. It's about emotional healing as well. There's so many areas of brokenness in our lives and in our hearts that God wants to heal. Amen? Last week, we talked about God... Jesus died on the cross for not just our sins, but for everything that was afflicting us. It says he took it upon himself, our, our, our illnesses and our infirmities, and he carried them away. You know, one of the challenges that I have, and I've watched others, uh, whenever it comes to ministering or talking about healing, is actually convincing people that God wants to heal them. And there's a reason for that. We're going to talk about that today. But I want to first share that we have a baptism right after church. It's going to be down at Finley Bend. Uh, we're going to baptize three, four people, whoever else wants to come. Uh, Finley Bend is down off of Lower River Road, Gunnell Road, down to the river. We'll make a caravan if we have to. I'm a real believer in, you know, this thought of bringing someone into the, in, into the fold and, and, and you're enfolding them into the family of God. This thought of baptism, I think, needs to happen right away. And this point of, you know, we, on May 31st, we will baptize. Make sure you sign up on the list. Now, I'm not against that, but to me, it should be instantaneous. That's how you see it in the Word. You come along, someone gets saved, saved. They give their heart to the Lord. They have this radical encounter with God. Don't make them wait. Take them down and throw them in the river. Just make sure a quarter mile down the river you got someone to catch them. Just saying. So after church, we're going to caravan down there and we're going to have a baptism. I'm super excited about that. But back to what I want to talk about. I think I've got time. I, I want to talk about two important things that I think keep a lot of people from realizing 
how much God wants them healed and how much God wants them whole. And here is God's heart. Here is the heart of the Father concerning healing. When, it ta- when I talk about convincing people that God actually wants to heal them, go to, take them to this scripture. Matthew 8, 2 says, A man with leprosy came and knelt before him. That was Jesus. And he said, Lord, if you were willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. And he said, I am willing. And then he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Did you catch this? The man come up and says, Lord, if you're willing. And Jesus said, I am willing. That's God's heart towards us when it comes to sickness. We've been talking about, I believe with all my heart, that divine healing is part of God's plan for every one of us. Okay? The leprous man asked Jesus, Lord, if you're willing. Now, Jesus could have said, let me tell you a parable. You got 30 minutes? I want to tell you this big par-. He could have given out this big detailed description of whatever was going to happen. But Jesus' answer was concise. He says, I am willing. One answer to one question. So the next time you're wondering, God, Jesus is willing. He wants to. You know, when Jesus was asked by his, his disciples how to pray, Jesus, Jesus puts this little interesting statement about the will of God into the prayer. In, 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 in Matthew 6, he says, Our Father, this, I'm going to paraphrase like crazy here this morning to get through this material, but Jesus says, hey guys, this is how you pray. You ask me, Here's my answer. Our Father in heaven, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The NIV would say, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Is there any sickness in heaven? Is there any brokenness in heaven? Is there any diseases in heaven? So why not be praying, let your kingdom come, Father. Let your will be done as it is in heaven, here on earth, in them and through them. When we, we are kingdom people, and when we invite the kingdom into the now, whoa, his presence comes. And in his presence, everything changes. Right? You know, all throughout this talk, there has been this elephant in the room. And I've hinted at it, I've alluded to it a few times, but this elephant in the room is... is Why does God heal some and not others? Why is that preacher up there preaching all this stuff and he's got one arm? What's this all about? Well, before we answer that question or attempt to, I want to take us back to the cross. I'm going to tell you something right now. At the foot of the cross, there is no discrimination. Right? Romans 10, 13. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Does it say some will be saved? No, it says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but his is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Isn't that what the word says? So when it comes to salvation, God is all in on saving people. Right? Just say to me, to me, this is how I think, to say that God will heal some but not others is, is tantamount to saying that 
God will save some, but not others. Amen? You know, I want you to know that it is God's will that all be saved. I think we're all in on that. And it's also God's will that all come into the full knowledge of the truth of who he is. Amen. He is a saving God. But not only did he save us from our sins on the cross, but he also took all of our infirmities and our weaknesses and our sicknesses and he carried them away. So there is no reason we need to live under this assuming that God wants us in this place of sickness. You know, I think, I think uh, we would do well to discuss this morning quickly some common misconceptions about healing, which I think are prevalent around and in the body of Christ today. I have certainly seen it in my 40 plus years of ministry, these kinds of thinkings. And one of them is, it is widely accepted today that although God is able to heal, he many times withholds his, withholds his healing so that somehow he will be glorified. That makes absolutely no sense to me. But there are people who believe that. There are places that actually share that and propagate that in their theology. It blows my mind. It is thought that the sickness that is on me will somehow bring glory to God. That's crazy. Sickness is viewed by these people as a, as a blessing from God because somehow in this good thing that God put upon him, somehow he's going to get glory out of that? That doesn't sound like the God that we serve, does it? You know, it's often said, and I've heard this, let's both sides of the coin here, I've often heard this said, again, my illness made me turn to God. Or while I was in the hospital, God used me to witness to hundreds of people. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, yes, good things can come from illnesses. Good things can come from calamities. Good things can come from us getting sick, etc. Because Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are willing, <clears throat> excuse me, those who are called according to his purposes. Yes, I want to tell you, God is merciful, and God can turn any situation around, and he can turn a curse into a blessing. He can turn bad into good if we simply allow him to do that. But here's my big point this morning on this. This does not mean that God is the one who inflicted you with the sickness. God is not the one who brought the calamity upon you. Does that make sense? There are two major scriptural passages that are used in connection with, with this idea of some kind of divinely appointed illnesses. And, and, and they go like this. One is my sickness is divinely appointed by God for his glory. So I am sick for his glory. I have heard that many times. Now again, I'm just trying to remove roadblocks because I want to see everyone healed. I want to see God glorified in that moment, okay? But the second one is, you know, my sickness God has given me to humble me. I've heard people tell me that God gave you just one arm to keep you humble. Ask anyone that knows me, I'm probably not that humble. I am a legend in my own mind. I wrote a book called Humility and How I Obtained It. <laughs> my wife's back there going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, just kidding. Two, two major scriptural passages. One is the story of Job, and the other one is Paul's thorn in the flesh. 
Now, when you start talking about healing, these two accounts are often raised as objections to the teaching of God's divine will that it's healing for all. When you start talking about healing for all, whoa, 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 wait, wait a minute. What about Job? Whoa, 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 whoa. What about Paul's thorn in the flesh? We're going to talk about that really quickly this morning. You know, if we take a closer examination of the scriptures along with comparing them with some other scriptures on healing, we're going to see that the scriptures do not teach that sickness is a blessing of any kind. In fact, the Bible is really clear on this big label when it comes to sickness. It says it is a curse, and it's not a blessing. So what about Job? What about Job? You know, one of the common objections to healing is this, uh, that arises is this idea that God afflicted righteous Job, that God was the one that afflicted him. Many Christians feel today that they cannot be healed because, just like Job, somehow they're suffering at the command of God for some divine cosmic purpose. I've run into countless people like this, guys. And if we're going to minister the gospel, if we're going to minister the whole gospel, the truth is, uh-uh, God didn't bring that on you, bro. And your job is to help them navigate these waters and take them to the word of God that says, uh, when Jesus was on the cross... He did more than just die for your sins. He took everything and carried it away. Again, like I shared last week, sometimes we go after that thing and we want to drag it back into our life. And Jesus is going, no, you gave that to me. Give it back. I paid the price for that. It's mine. So, man, give your heavy hearts, give your brokenness, give it back to him. He will carry that farther away next time where hopefully you'll never find it ever again. You know... Whatever we may conclude from Job's experience, if you've ever read or studied anything about Job, I don't think there's sufficient enough evidence from which to say that the will of God is sickness for anyone. I believe that. And, and to say that God wants people sick on the basis of Job's experience, I think is an oversimplification. You know, I think it also denies what God has said elsewhere in his word concerning healing. Know your word, guys. Read it. Know it. In Job 1.1... 1, 1, According to the scriptures, let's look at Job for a moment. It says, Job was blameless. Job was upright, fearing God, and turning from evil. Yet we know in the story, if we read in just the first two chapters, all of a sudden these horrendous, horrific calamities come upon him. And during all of these calamities, we know that Job did not curse God as Satan said that he would. In 122, after a whole, I mean, his, this Hurricane, well, wind came, crashed the house down, killed his kids. Man, his servants were hit by lightning and livestock killed. I mean, it went on and on. It was terrible what happened to Job. And here we have Job saying, Job falls to the ground when this one survivor comes from one of these uh, incidents of calamity. And he falls to the ground and he says, Naked I come from my mother's womb, and naked I, I shall return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Then later in 2.10, this, this just keeps going on and on. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Why don't you just curse God and die? Man. You ever had someone come alongside you that wasn't very encouraging in that moment? <laughs> Throw them out of the car, kick them off the bus. I don't know what that looks like, but you don't need to surround yourself with those kind of voices. Man, 
So along comes Job's besties in the story, his best friends, his buds, his good confidants. And they come alongside Job, and, and they're going, Job? They're judging his calamity, saying, Job, you must have done something really wrong. You must have committed some kind of sin. Surely, all of this is coming upon you because you have done something wrong. We know it. You're just hiding it. And Job, all the while, he's insisting, no, I haven't. I have not. I I, I am upright before God. Here's here's the key to understanding a lot of this. And I want to kind of get through this because I had a lot of scriptures mixed in with this. But here's the key to understanding what's going on here. If context is everything, then Job and his comforters were totally unaware of what transpired in heaven between God and Satan. They were not privy to that conversation. They had no clue what had transpired and what had gone on. Okay? So here we find in Job 1, 6 through 12, the day of the angels came to present themselves before the Lord. Satan comes with them. Most of you know the story. Satan comes along. He just keeps poking, keep poking. Huh, what about Job, though? And God enters into this kind of little, short little agreement. says, you know, the Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your power. You know, Satan is whining that, well, you've blessed him. You've kept your hand on him. You've protected him. You've kept him from. I'm paraphrasing here. But he's like, okay, okay, very well. Everything he has is in your power. But on the man himself, do not lay a finger. And this is when all the calamity starts to happen. But here we find, who is the one? Who is the accuser of the brethren? It's Satan. It's Satan. And Satan is also the one who afflicted him. It wasn't God. So why do we always blame God when things happen? Steve Shaw used to say, good God, bad devil. You know, I, I, I hear, and it's, it's very tragic when you're dealing with the, uh, the uh, death of a loved one. I mean, some horrendous things that we have seen over the years. And, 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 and people go, how could God do this? How could God, how could God, how could, how could a loving God do this? All the while you're going, <clears throat> when they're done, you go, what about the devil? What do you mean, what about the devil? Devil bad, God good. You have to get your heart and your head around that. So repeatedly, Satan's just hammering away. And, he, and, and Satan said to God, put forth your hand and afflict him. Yeah, okay, I, won't, I mess with all of his physical stuff, his material stuff, but what about, if, what about if we touch his body and smite him with sickness and illness? And, ah. and God says, <clears throat> put forth your hand and afflict him. But God responded, he's in your hand. So again, we see who afflicted Job? It was Satan. It wasn't God. It never was God. The trial which Job underwent was precipitated and it was administered by Satan. He was the one behind the whole master plan. It wasn't God. It was, it was Satan's idea to test Job. And, and, and what he really was after was he was wanting to provoke Job into forsaking and cursing God. And I've run into these people that are weak, they're tired, they're ready to throw in the towel, and they're ready just to walk away. And in fact, I have known many people who have walked away from God because they felt God was bringing this on them. They didn't know how to fight, they didn't understand what was really going on, and they walked away from the Lord. That's not a good thing. Our job is to go after them. Our job is to set those captives free. You know, again, Job 
Job says something in, in, in uh, 121. He said, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. I've heard that many times from people. Oh, God has given and God just takes it away. But listen, Job was able to say that because he was totally unaware of Satan's presence. He was totally unaware of Satan's activity. He was not privy to any of that. You know, unfortunately today, many Christians erroneously, I think they quote this verse in response to satanic attacks, mainly when it comes to sickness. But Job could say this because he didn't have the revelation that is available today to us in the new covenant. Do you guys understand that? Today, we have the word of Jesus declaring this in John 10.10. He says, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I came that they might have life and might have it more abundantly. So, So it's open to us. We're able to see what's really going on in the angelic activity that's happening. Guys, guys, we have to keep in mind that the Bible is this progressive revelation of God and his ways. And we have to interpret the Old Testament in light of the New Testament. And God, under the New Covenant, has made it really plain, I believe, as day to us that in that word, who the source of sickness and calamity is, it is not God. It is Satan himself. It is an attack from the pit of hell. And the attack is designed to discourage us especially among believers, discourage us, cause us to want to just take our football and go home. How many have ever felt like that? Yeah. You know, you're having a bad day at Black Rock and you go, you know, this Jesus stuff just isn't working. That's what Satan wants. That's not God doing that. That's Satan. He's messing with you. You know, 2 Corinthians 4.4, Satan is called the God of this world. He is the one who causes the calamity. He is the one who causes destruction in people's lives. You know, I believe that today under this new covenant, I don't believe that anyone can really justify saying, you know, just like poor old Job, the Lord is afflicting me. Or I don't feel like people can go on and say, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Why? Because God has shown us who the source of the calamity is, and it's Satan. Learn how to fight people. Some of you need a dose of courage. Oh, that wasn't a good illustration, was it? (laughs) Sorry, take that back. Back that one up. You need a, I can't even say shot of courage. That doesn't sound good either. You need courage. And, And I believe that we have an opportunity this September. I hope it all works out. An amazing man named Mickey Robinson. The Hendersons are trying to line this all up for us, but he may come here and, and speak at this church, and he is a man who has encountered incredible calamity in his life. He was grossly burned in a plane crash, and I mean, God just totally spared his life. And talk about courage. God infused his heart and his body and his soul and his spirit with tremendous courage to say, this, this that the enemy intended for evil, God has made it for good. And I hope we can have him come here. I'll be pretty excited when that happens. That would be a great moment. We'll let you know. But to say that God will put sickness on us to test us and purify us is really contrary to the atoning work of Jesus on the cross. Listen, listen closely. God will not place on his children what it costs the son of his life to redeem us from. He won't do it. So this idea that, sealing, uh, that, that sickness, uh, that God places sickness on us is compatible with the fact that God made healing part of the atoning work of Jesus. 
and the scriptures themselves concerning sickness and disease being taken care of, bear this out. Matthew 8, 17, I'm just going to read the short part. He took our infirmities and he carried away our diseases. Prophet Isaiah fulfilling that. First Peter 2, 24, he bore himself and he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds you were healed. Amen? Guys, God has opened up the door. He's lifted off the blinders. Recognize who the enemy really is. God is good, and his intentions towards us are nothing but good. Enemy brings calamity in and upon our lives. Yes, he does. He's trying to destroy us. He's trying to take us out. I, I know right now I'm speaking to evangelists. I'm speaking to pastors. I'm speaking to ministers of the gospel. Guys, grab hold of this. Get the courage to punch through this. And when you see someone in, with their dauber down and they're just like struggling, go up to them and tell them how much God sent them free. Amen? So what about Paul's thorn? Ooh, five minutes. Let's see if I can do this. I'll talk really fast. No, I'm just... I'm get a drink here really quick. This has always been a biggie to me. Paul's thorn in the flesh. There are people that I believe have the opinion that sometimes when we're praying for healing, that God says no. And they base this thought on the story of Paul and Paul's thorn in the flesh. It is thought that sickness is God's method of humbling us and bringing him closer to himself. This is their reasoning. And I believe that God created us to roar like lions. Amen? We're called to kick down prison wall. We're called to open gates. We're called to do whatever it takes to take out the enemy. But, but the basis for this type of thinking, I believe comes from this erroneous concept of Paul's thorn in the flesh. And, and Paul, in 2 Corinthians, he deals with this. And he says, And because of these surpassingly great revelations, therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, he goes on to say, I will boast the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, I am strong. So Satan declares that Paul, uh, I'm sorry, here Paul declares that he had received a messenger from Satan, some kind of demonic entity. We don't know what that was other than it was there to poke and prod him and to buffet him. So, so the reason was so he would not be puffed up with pride concerning the revelations which he had been given. Paul had been given some incredible revelations. So twice he asked for deliverance from this kind of whatever was going on. Okay, and, and, and God's response to him was, look, Paul, uh, uh, Paul my, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. I think the weakness to which Paul refers to is mistakenly uh, thought as some kind of physical sickness. Now, I heard everything under the sun from he had bad eyes to a bad shoulder. He had weird things going on. I mean, 
Think about this for a moment. The eyes. Man, if you were tortured, put in prison, whacked on a few times on your head many times, and thrown in a dark dungeon, your eyes would probably be spinning too. Just saying. He was getting older. I'm sure his vision was weakness. We didn't have these kind of things. I mean, if I had to, like, that just looks blurry to me. But it, it, it leaves the impression that sickness is God's way of keeping people humble. And, and guys, most of us have read many, many different things that talk about uh, this Paul's thorn in the flesh. But let's really take a moment to look at Paul's thorn in the flesh. Equating, uh, equating Paul's thorn in the flesh with disease is an assumption which I believe the scriptures do not bear out. Paul enumerates just exactly what his weakness entailed. In 2 Corinthians uh, 1210, he says, therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distress, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And in three other places in the word in long, lengthy scriptures, he lays this point out that, man, this guy was hungry. He was thirsty. They were in rags. They were brutally beaten. I mean, the list goes on and on. We worked hard with our hands. We were cursed. Oh, and when we were cursed, we would bless. When we were, we were persecuted, we would endure. I mean, the list goes on and on. And then he says, rather as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. He talks about their great endurance in troubles, hardships, and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, imprisonments, and riots. I mean, the list goes on and on. This guy was like ragdolled by everybody that was around him, punching and whacking on him. I've been in prison more frequently. I've been flogged more severely, and I've been exposed to death again and again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three, you guys getting this? Paul was hammered on. Paul was persecuted beyond belief. I don't know anyone in this room that has suffered anything close to anywhere here that I'm aware of. And if you were, God bless you, man. But in these references, and I've got all the scriptures if you want, and for time's sake, I want to bring this down. In these references, Paul lists his many troubles, which he experienced as a servant of Christ, such as persecution, such as danger, such as hunger. And yet nowhere in any of these lists does Paul ever mention sickness or disease. Nowhere. The weakness which Paul speaks about are the persecutions and the trials that he encountered at the hands of men. Why? Because he was preaching Jesus. If you want to be persecuted, if you want to have calamity and the hammer come down, you keep preaching Jesus. We had this brother at A Street. He went on to have a ministry in Africa, and now he's in Midland, Texas, Mark Henderson. A wonderful brother. When I met, when I met Mark, <clears throat> he was on his way. He felt he was one of the last prophets of mankind he was highly deceived on this incredible spiritual journey. It's a whole other story. But Mark had had this God encounter, and he just was radically changed. And I remember one night, we had spent a lot of times on Friday nights going out preaching the gospel on G Street years ago. And that's when G Street was mostly bars and bikers and stuff. And we're preaching the gospel, and, and Mark was like 6'8". He was huge. And he got hit one time. And I remember Mark, I thought, Mark was like at... Uh, I think it was Kansas or one of those uh, big universities back east. He was one of their top tennis players. The guy had a swing on him, and he just took it. And we came back, and for me, the fighter in me was like, ooh, bring it on. But he's like, 
I got persecuted for the sake of Jesus. He was so thrilled. And when I saw that, I thought about it for my thought, well, either Mark's a whack job or something else is going on here because he loves this. And he didn't go out looking for it. He didn't like poke his face out and want people to hit it. But when it came upon him, he understood what that really meant. For Christ's sake, he was being persecuted. In the Old Testament, God told the children of Israel that the Canaanites would become thorns in their sides. God said, if you don't utterly destroy them and take them off the planet, man, these people are going to constantly be there as thorns in your side. In Numbers, thorns in your side. We see it again in Joshua. And a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes. These thorns which God is referring to were people. Not sicknesses and illnesses. These were people and tribes of people who were coming against God's people. That is persecution. And that's what Paul, I believe, was talking about. Paul suffered greatly at the hands of the Jews. They were constantly stirring up trouble for him. You know, in Acts, many times in Acts, I'm going to rush through this. When the Jews saw the crowds gathering around Paul, they were totally thrilled, man. No, they weren't. They were upset. They were jealous. They were mad. They were envious. And they would hunt him down like a wild animal. They would beat him and they would stone him. And then they would lie about him and they would stir up the minds of the Gentiles and get them embittered against the brethren. And, and, and the Jews from Antioch would come and, and all these multitudes would gather together and then they would take Paul out and stone him. And he survived that. They left him supposing him to be dead, the word says. And Paul crawled away from that. Paul suffered much because of these thorns because he preached the gospel. And it was from this, I believe, is what he sought to be delivered from. It wasn't physical sense. It wasn't any physical sickness or illness. We just don't find that. We don't read that. And all along, God's response to Paul is, my grace is sufficient. And I believe it's often misunderstood to mean that we're to bear up under sickness by the grace of God. Guys, why do we have to bear up under something that God has already redeemed us from? We don't have to. We're free from that. Walk in it free. Step out and free. be free from that. You know, it says, it does say, though, that God has not redeemed us from persecution. That's going to come because 2 Timothy 3.12 says, all and, and indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So guys, get ready. If you're going to follow Jesus, it's going to come. It's going to come. You will be persecuted in some way, shape, or form. And, and I believe that God has redeemed us from all diseases, diseases and all illnesses, but God's grace is sufficient enough to see us through any persecution that we as believers will encounter. Amen? How many of you experienced this? Once you became a believer, it's like there begin to be targeted attacks on your family in different areas. Yeah, a lot of you can raise your hands to that. It's true, because the enemy knows that, and that's what he's going after. We've got to learn to fight, and fight together against these things. So, so, this, this, this thought or this notion that I'm suffering for Jesus because of this sickness that's on me, I'm just suffering for Jesus, that's a lie. That's a lie. To me, it's obvious that those people who are bound by sickness and disease, they're not suffering for Jesus' sake. Now, if you're being persecuted, you truly are suffering for Jesus' sake. The word is very explicit on, on, on Paul's list of what was afflicting him. And nowhere on those lists do we find sickness and illness? 
So suffering for Christ's sake, I'll finish out here, refers strictly to those trials which arise because a person is a believer and preaches the gospel. It comes. You know, Paul could have simply eliminated all of this by taking his football and going home and just gone back to his hometown and just started making tents once again. It would have all been over. It would have slowly faded out. He would have healed, maybe not emotionally or mentally, but it would have gone away. So I, I wrote here, I said a key. Being sick is not in any way, shape, or form suffering for Christ's sake. If that were so, then only Christians would be sick, since only Christians will be persecuted for Christ's sake. So anybody can be sick, right? Anybody can be sick, Christians and non-Christians alike. So sickness, I believe, was not part of Paul's troubles for the sake of the gospel, and I believe that that same thing is true today. If a believer is sick, or if a believer has some kind of physical infirmity going on, they are not suffering for Jesus' sake. They are being oppressed by the devil, and they need to be set free. And that is our job, because Jesus said, I am willing. Now, the elephant in the room. Why is God so, this is just a moment, why is God so hit and miss in the way that he responds to our petition for his miraculous interventions? Why is it that two people can be prayed for over here and someone steps out of there and they're totally healed and they're doing the wahoo, wah, happy dance and the other one comes away, nothing, nothing happened. Hebrews gives us a great clue into this, chapter 11. <clears throat> great chapter of all the amazing saints. Down throughout the ages, there have been some saints who by faith quenched the fires of violence, the violence of fires, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, and turned to flight the armies of the aliens, while others had trials of mockings and scourgings, yes, and chains and imprisonment, and they were stoned, sawn in two, tempted and slain <clears throat> with the sword." Where is the fairness in all of this? Where is the, where is the justice in this? Where is the impar, uh, impartiality of all of this? Why, why has not God healed? As all the people that have prayed for me, why hasn't God healed my arm? I think the plain answer is, when we talk about fairness, we talk about justice, we talk about impartiality, I believe in terms of an answer, there isn't any. There isn't any. When we stand in the presence of a holy God, there can be no question about fair. There can be no question about fair and equal treatment. There can be nothing, and hear me, there can be nothing but the miracle and mystery of grace from the beginning to the end. I don't understand it. Job put it this way in chapter 42. He, at the end of the book, he says, look, I know that you can do everything. He's talking to God. And I know that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. The real question, guys, is not, is not what does the Lord, why, it, let me back up. <clears throat> the real question is not why does the Lord heal some and not others. I don't think that's the question we should be asking. 
The real question is, why is anyone ever healed at all? That's the real question. God alone knows the answer. And there's only one way of living with this. There's only one way I can live with this is knowing, in one word, trust. I trust him because he is good and he's good all the time. His intentions and his purposes towards me are good. When calamity and bad things happen, I know where they come from. And I have to go back to, I trust him. He is good, and he always has my best in mind. And he will take these calamities, and he will rearrange and work this for my good. I get that. But at the end of the day, I have to totally trust in him. So I ask you, do you trust in Jesus? Let's stand. In closing, I, I just want to ask you guys to, um, if you can, come join us tomorrow night at 7 for intercessory prayer. I really want to uh, set up prayer uh, for the conference this coming week. I want to see fallow ground broken in people's lives so that when the seeds come, they're planted in good soil that's really healthy and been tilled up. I'm not much of a farmer. I can rototill, but my wife is the one that makes it grow. She's just good at it. But I understand the concept of tilling the soil. So a lot of us have these places in our heart that needs to be tilled up. We've got to break up that fallow ground. And once again, the water and the stuff will flow in like it should and will we'll produce good things. But Father, I just ask that you would give us a revelation of how great and how glorious you are. And Father, that, that our trust in you would just increase... Ah, to crazy measures, God, that we would trust in you knowing that we know that we know that we know that you are good and you're good all the time. Thank you, God. Father, give us hearts that are filled with tremendous courage to believe this, to confess this, and more importantly, act upon it, God. Father, give us the heart and the ability to see those around us who are so emotionally, spiritually, physically wounded in some way, shape, or form, and give us the words that we need to speak life into their lives so that they too can experience a healing, God, from you. Thank you, God. And Father, we just pray into this coming Saturday and Sunday, God. We pray into that your presence would come in a powerful way, and Father, we would see healing in ways we have never experienced or not experienced for years, God. I know you want to do this, Lord. And Father, we just want to carve out a place and a space for you to do that. Thank you, Jesus. And together we all said, amen. amen. God bless you guys. Uh, we're going to be heading down to the river, probably down there maybe a quarter afternoon by the time we get there. But God bless you guys. Have a great day. Quarter after 12. <laughs>